Greetings mortals and welcome to Heimdall's home. That was Compador Chiado by Trova de Lid. That's been our uh, our intro music for the last year or so. This is Celtic God speaking. With us today is the Lore Keeper, Hans Hugren and Harold Anderson. Uh, we'll be talking about farming, but before we get going, I want to remind everybody that we are going to be going on hiatus soon for approximately a month and um, May 9th that will be the show the the last show before the hiatus but if you follow us on telegram Instagram telegram Instagram uh, we'll have a Facebook up soon as well uh, you, you can keep uh, up to date with the changes that's going to be happening because we'll be notifying everybody of what's going on as well as on the uh, the podcast because on the podcast platforms because there will be sporadic shows going up on there um, even though we're on hiatus so pretty much all that we're doing is we're going to stop the live shows for about a month or so while we reorganize and and re-platform I guess refine refocus uh, and uh, reformat right so how are you doing today Lorekeeper I'm doing well because I just heard back that uh, the magazine's about ready. I got to do the proofread, send it back to the publisher, and it should be ready within a day or two. I know we've said yes. that for a long time. Yes. However, but now it's actually time, in the publisher's hands. Yes. This time we're not making uh, optimistic guesses right. that rely on things out of our hands. Now it's pretty much there. Right. So. Um, uh, how are you today, Hans? Uh, I believe that you're going to have to leave out early. Hi, everyone. Yeah. I just wanted to drop by and uh, at least be around for a little while, but yeah, I'll have to go in, let's say, half an hour or so at this point. Got some family stuff to do. And as, nothing bad. As... Nothing bad, so nobody worry. It, it, it's good yeah. times, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's all good stuff. And how are you this fine? Uh, I think it's after afternoon or evening for you, Harold. Right. Yeah, six o'clock. Um, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm quite fine. Been a stressful day, driving a lot today. Um, not my usual uh, schedule, so to say. <laughs> driving. Got driving. new rabbit. Got rabbits today. Oh, okay. Because so, I, I was hoping that you meant like driving cattle across the countryside on on horseback with um, a fancy cowboy hat. Because I know how the Swedes and Finns like to do that. They did right, produce exactly. Cotton Eyed Joe. So. Yeah. Was that Swedes that did that? Yes. <clears throat> One of the best <laughs> songs come out of Sweden. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah. uh, you, you got well, rabbits today, you said? Got rabbits today. Went up 4.30 in the morning and... Drove down to pick up rabbits, drove back up, drove north again uh, another two hours <laughs> to pick up a uh, straw bale holder like feeding ring for cattle. Mm. And then came back home, fed animals, running like a crazy fool to make the show. <laughs> so, are you saying when you run a farm you have to get up before the sun even wakes up? Sometimes, sometimes not. It depends <laughs> on the day. I will say this. <laughs> The beautiful thing about rabbits <coughs> is they're the one of the few animals that breed so quickly they practically have a respawn rate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. I mean, the, the other one, other animals that are breeding kind of in the same uh, frequency uh, would be pigs. 
Oh, so, yeah. but pigs are, you know, a very, very big rabbit. Uh, <laughs> with very, with, uh, they're uh, putting it mildly, yes. With some stabby things in the front and basically built like a tank instead of a really tiny kangaroo. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everybody exactly, knows, exactly. Everybody knows kangaroos are just wear rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> no, but rabbits are great. They're great. Uh, they're perfect for uh, just a homestead to, to get some protein on the table. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was younger, we actually had pet rabbits. Um, right. Annie the Angora and Thumper, because I wasn't a very creative kid with naming rabbits. So you are a uh, a business farm, which pretty much all farms are, uh, because it, it takes money to to keep things moving and to pay taxes. Right. Um, what's your general plan with the the rabbits? Is it for fur, for meat, for both? Yeah, it's for it's for home production mainly, and and the you know excess we will sell to uh, customers uh, for the meat. Uh, the issue with the fur is that you should only take the fur of older animals, like the young animals that you slaughter haven't really developed uh, a tight enough fur and not mm -hmm. a thick enough skin uh, to to be commercial. Mm -hmm. So uh, you slaughter them too early in their life, so to say. So they're mainly for meat, and the skin is. It's just a you know a byproduct that uh, you know you could potentially sell it if if they were white. But my rabbits are New Zealand Red. It's a meat breed that comes from uh, originally from California, uh, and uh, yeah, they're they're grown for meat. And and the fur there's a white one they're called New Zealand White, and they are you know attractive for the industry of fur because they can color them very easily, mm. uh, while. They are already colored, you know, it's very hard to do something with that, except if there's a customer who wants it. So, right, you know, if, you got, if, you, if you have white fur, it can become any color. If you have black any fur, it can, be, yeah. it can become black fur. Which is still, right, exactly. rabbit fur is really soft and all those things. I mean, this is something I love about uh, domesticated animals. It's called a New Zealand red. It's from California, and you're raising them in yeah. Sweden. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, we, we had... We have some, uh, you know, heritage breeds in Sweden. We have two heritage breeds in Sweden of rabbits that they managed to save. One is called Gotland, which is the island on the east coast of Sweden. The biggest island we have uh, Sweden. And the other one is called Mellerudskanin. And that's actually uh, a 40 minute drive from the area where they found them. Uh, hmm. From me. So I could, have, I could have gotten those because they're from a local area. But the thing is that they're going to be put into a commercial context as well. So they don't grow well enough to be in production and to be economically beneficial. Right, for, so and that's that, why that's I went for somebody that doesn't have the money to go full-on industry with it, right? Right, sure. Right. Well, because uh, you and me, we've had a lot of discussions about farming, and there's different ways that, that things can be done um, that's... <laughs> That's not like the industrial farming, but it requires different amounts of investment to be able to pull yeah. it off and uh, be profitable. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it it depends from country to country. Regulations varies dramatically uh, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, America, you have states where are very very open and very very easy to start a business. Uh, and you have states where are very very complicated, probably even more complicated than in in, uh, in uh, Europe, where we have the European uh, you know Union that is putting out the guidelines right now of what's going to happen in every country. Uh, 
uh, they're setting the European standard, so mm-hmm. to say. Um, so it all depends. But I mean, you can you can do farming on an extremely low budget, and you can do farming on a very very high budget. Uh, there's all those spectrums of where you you know could potentially start. So going to the low budget, which is usually where most of us operate, especially young people have a very low budget. There is tremendous, tremendous, uh, you know, business opportunity in the low budget uh, sector. Uh, you don't have to own the land. You can lease the land. You can rent the land, um, and you could make a business out of it. And you don't need to have much. And um, there are, you know, we could go in strictly into this, which we will do in in future uh, podcasts, uh, speaking directly on each subject on how to do everything practically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then of course you have the the cattle, for instance. I mean, we we have cattle, and the prognosis right now is that we're not going to start earning money on them until year number four. So that means that the cattle is costing us money every year until year number four. They they're only dragging out money from the farm. Mm-hmm. They're not generating anything. Um, so that's you know a long time investment. While rabbits, you know, you can buy them, you know, within a few months, you have ba- you have gotten your money back and you're you're getting money. So right, because uh, there's a sad thing about rabbits. They breed like rabbits. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, they do. We, we just sold off all but ten of our rabbits. Why do we have thirty of them today? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's and. and as far as finances go, it's like uh, what was it that you? Co- I know what it is. Uh, I have a picture of it in my in my head. It's the thing that you put hay on, and uh, the cattle can basically rip it apart and eat it. Uh, usually, they're shaped like a spindle. Uh, you, but you said the word here just a minute ago. What was it that you just went picked up? Uh, like hay. A hay bale. Uh, hay bale. Ah, uh, uh, I would don't know what you call it in English, but it's it's the it's the round <laughs> ring you put around a hay bale. And the animals can get to it without, you know, the food getting dragged out everywhere and right. they stomping and and uh, pooping in their own food. Right. And, and the thing is, you've had your cattle for a minute, so um, this is one of those financial things. Is would it have been good to have yeah. that before you got the cattle? Well, of course. Oh yeah, de- definitely, sure, definitely. We 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 and we did it. We did have the money to do that, but we uh, deliberately did not do it this year because we needed also compost. So right. we didn't care about the hay getting on the ground underneath the roof because that's going to be comp- compost for our garden. Right, so which is kind of the point I was getting fine. to is like some people will tell you that you have to have this feeder before you get the cows. Well, no, you yeah. don't. You don't have to. If you can't afford it, don't worry about it. If you can't afford it, yeah. but you decide, you know, you have to weigh all the options and, and play it out that right. way. But you don't have to have the... the the fancy feeder. You don't have to have, you know, a thirty million dollar barn. You could have a thousand yeah. dollar barn. Yeah, and that comes into like you know legislation again. You know, mm-hmm. there are states in America where there is no requirement of that you're going to have your animals inside. Like mm-hmm. a cow is going to manage completely fine outside all year around. For them, the minus twenty seven is like when it's twenty seven plus for us, and we're going around naked in perfection right 27 degrees is the perfect op- optimal state for a human being for a human being to you know walk around naked like right. it's not cold it's not warm it's it's you know as long as in in the shadow of course right we're talking it's, about uh, celsius here yeah right? yeah celsius not yes fahrenheit. celsius exactly <laughs> not not fahrenheit we're, you know real real things <laughs> yes yeah, uh, so we're talking so, about in those pretend measurements yeah right exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh 
so uh, yeah, so the cows they're com- going to be completely fine. I mean, my breed of cow they can give a calf down in minus twenty five. The cow comes, the calf comes out, they clean it off, and the calf is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are born with fur and everything, so you don't need to have a building for them. But here in Sweden, the legislation says that you have to have at least a wind shelter, which means three sides and a roof. Um, otherwise, you have to have a special permission, which you have to pay a fee for, because there needs to come a veterinary every year inspecting the animals, seeing that they are healthy and seeing that they are, you know, doing well during the winter. And that inspection, no matter the size of the herd, costs one thousand eight hundred dollars, or around two thousand dollars, probably more translated correctly, um, which well, is a uh, lot of money if no, you're okay. just having two cows. Uh, so. Then it's not, you know, a possibility. That means that you have to have a shelter. But building a shelter for two cows is is not a big issue. Right. But as soon as you're going up and you're having, you know, 90 head of cattle, uh, building a building is going to be uh, quite expensive. Right. Or it's going to be a very big. large project. Well, so, I know Hans has to shoot out of here in a few minutes. So uh, I heard Hans key up just a minute ago. What was what was you going to say, Hans, or ask? Oh, I was just wondering if the word haystack is what I was looking for. That's it. <laughs> oh. No, not haystack. Uh, more just a, it's, it's a hay bale. Um, but hay, hay bale, I mean, it's the big marshmallow for people that doesn't know, you know, that you see out on the fields. They press them and there's there's either grass or grass silage or silage inside of them um, to feed I, the animals. I have a question. So, I mean, I know the answer. But uh, for people wondering out there in the audience, I'm going to ask the farmer, because I'm not a farmer even though I do know the answer. Hay, is this a special kind of plant? How do you plant hay? Oh, right, right. yeah, I've I've heard that one before. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, how do you plant hay? Well, uh, you do absolutely nothing and you let the grass (laughs) grow by itself and then you cut it and you dry it and that becomes hay. It's basically dried grass. Um, yeah. So, so do and, we have to spray? And the milk and the milk in. Right. Well, I, I was going to ask: and, Do we have to spray to keep the weeds out of the grass? Then. Well, you could do that, but then you're also going to eat that chemicals where, when you feed that to your cows, and the grass is going right in there, and then you're drinking their milk, and you get those very nice juicy chemicals inside of you. Well, that just grass is kind of poor hay, anyway. So. Uh, from, right. <laughs> from my personal experience in talking to ranchers, um, usually what you're looking for in the, the hay, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's usually other plants in, in there as well, like clovers and fl- wildflowers and maybe yeah. even some saplings. Sure. Just cut them up too and wrap it all up, dry it out, and call it hay. Is, right. is, is this yeah. pretty correct? Yeah, every, I mean, every grass and flower. So it, it can, I mean, here in Sweden, they also cut meadows. So meadows are, you know, it's it's full of flowers and all kind of things, and I mean that becomes hay. So it's the combination of several types of grasses and 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 clovers and you know plants that goes together. So I mean the more diversity you have in your in your fields, in your pasture, in your meadow, and where you cut your hay from, um, the you know the better feed you have. So flowers are very protein rich, for for instance, uh, while grass are more starchy and sugary. Uh, uh, they also contain protein if you grow it in the right way and let it rest and, and uh, recover. I, I have another question that um, some people not, might not realize, but uh, straw. What is straw and can you feed that to your animals? Um, they 
like cows will eat some straw. They can eat some straw, but it's a much, much more um, hard substance. And straw comes from, of course, from wheat or from barley or from uh, rye, I think it's called, or mm. any of the um, any of the grains that's being grown and the and the um, stem on where the seeds are growing becomes a byproduct called straw. These are usually used as bedding, or you can make straw bale houses uh, or whatever uh, from that. And cows may, may eat some of it, the more finer uh, of the straws, but it's definitely not their favorite. And uh, you can do it if you're having a very low year and you have a lot of straw, but uh, it's not enough hay. You can kind of, you know, supplement. Um, yeah, supplement or, you know, just mix it out a little bit and they'll get some of that inside of them but it's definitely not preferable since it's a very waxy substance uh they have a natural wax on the outside of them so so, so from what i understand uh basically yeah they, they can eat straw but if you try feeding your animal just straw the animal's yeah. gonna end up starving to death with a belly full of straw you know what i never i never fed a cow only only straw because for me it sounds like a very stupid idea that's because it is <laughs> so <laughs> right so i don't know like it, it might be that the cow would survive on it um especially maybe an older breed because i mean they, they could they could still eat some bark and some um, oh yeah. uh, you know le leaves and small twigs and so on well, um, i guess would... i guess my point was is it's it's okay if they get into the straw, but you can't feed them just straw. You, you'd have to give them hay or at least uh, grain feeds, I guess, because you can buy feed. It looks kind of like dog food, and they can eat right. that. But it's not, honestly, uh, in my opinion, my humble opinion, not being a farmer, it's not as good for the animal to feed them pellets. Right. No, no, definitely not. I mean, it's it's a heat, pellets is a heat product, so you can get 100% grass pellet uh, and so on, which would be like it's fine feeding it, but it's still being heated, so um, it's definitely not best food. But it's usually very tasty for them because they mix in salt and so on, so it's very uh, like tasty for the animal. Uh, but uh, when it comes to pellets that's filled with grain and so on, it's a no go for cows. Like feeding. Uh, a cow grain is is absolutely idiocy. Uh, it should absolutely not be done on any level. Yeah. Maybe pellet or just pure grains. Yeah, and they do that over here in America. The the corn fed cows. Right. And it's it's horrific. Um, right. A lot of what has to be yeah. done to the cows, all the antibiotics, all the. Um, all the because they actually have to cut like a hole in the side of the cow to remove the corn like they actually have to reach in this hole yeah 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 corn is actually one of the the worst things that could be fed to an animal even even chicken and when you get corn chicken feed for instance if you actually look at the feed for the the chickens to be able to do anything with it it's they crush it they dry it and they crush it and then they'll yeah. mix in like bone meal and other stuff in with it this is CT flexing his farming muscles. I only got like three of them, so I like to flex them hard. Well, and right. honestly, <laughs> corn is not good for anybody. I'm actually, the only thing I can think is, well, a combination of the use of lye, or is it lime? Uh, but I think it's lye. And uh, yeah. specific dietary requirements being different for the Amera Indians, because for Europeans and most of the other races, corn is terrible for us. Yeah, it'll fill the gut, but that's about it. Well, yeah, it's it's 
literally will just pass right through you. You can starve to death on a full belly. Yes. Well, yeah, uh, like, <laughs> there's a running joke. You, you eat cream corn, your body reassembles it and sends it out. <laughs> yeah, no, cor- corn, and I mean, it comes down to every grain, like... You could you could eat a bit of corn as as a human, of course. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but a little bit won't hurt you, and same way even with yeah. cows, they can eat a little bit of it, and it's not going to destroy them. Right, like and, they they could, but it's like they're developed to eat grasses, and I mean, yeah. uh, corn is is a type of grass, and wheat is a type of grass, but it's been so far removed from its original state that it's it's not good for them because. What a cow is doing is that it's a basically a huge fermentation uh, industry. <laughs> that's that's why they have their four stomachs. So they're fermenting their own food, and we all know what happens. What happens when you ferment barley, for instance? Well, you are creating beer. That's literally what you're doing. I mean, you're you're creating alcohol inside of the body of the that's cow. That's why cows and, are and, always either really mad or really happy. It's because they're always right. drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't. Fortunately, it works like that. Even though I have a very good story about drunk cows, uh, but <laughs> uh, so it's very, very bad idea to feed feed, feed them grain. Uh, they should just have have you know either fresh grass, fresh pasture, or you know fresh um, or dried grass, which is called hay. For those who haven't understood that. Um, well, and oddly, because yeah. I've seen where people's. Um... I don't, I don't know what it's called, but basically they, they let their cows go feral. They kind of pen them in, but it's a massive area, and there's forest out there, and they, the cows is do, mm-hmm. just doing cow things. And they kept the yep. herd small enough that uh, they was actually able to do that. But I noticed that the, the cows, while they will eat leaves, they don't eat many leaves, and they seem mm. to uh, particularly like, um, like the ends of, um, of branches. And yeah. the, the saplings and the, the clovers yeah. and the flowers and the grass, yeah. stuff like that. So they'll eat a little bit of everything. And these cows, yeah. man, they were, they were special. I've never seen anything else like this specific bunch of cows. And it wasn't even a special breed. It was the same breed that everybody else had. But everybody else would put them out to pasture, keep them away from the trees, supplement their food right. with, with pellets. And, uh, right. Right. And these these cows that were allowed to go, I guess, feral for lack of a better term, uh, they right. got big. I mean, whoa, big and shaggy, or yeah, they're, they're, they had a shaggier coat. Where you go to the farm, go to like Bob's farm, who has the the barn, and he, he takes care of them in that that way. All the coats are smooth and shiny and short and silky, and these other cows, their their hair was shaggier. It wasn't. It didn't get long where it was like dragon or anything, but it was um, more akin to like really short wool, I guess. That's mm. not curly. It, it was a. Right. It was a neat thing, and it was exactly the same breed. It's just the difference in how they was living, and the horns got yeah. massive on the ones that was allowed to go feral. Well, that's what happened with Texas Longhorns. They're just a semi-feral breed, mm. uh, and they're kind of the iconic animal of uh, Texas. But, right. Yeah. Now, they're a very cool uh, cow breed, the Texas Longhorn. I, w- I would like to have one of those here. <laughs> but, you know, one, one of the things with grains also is that grains are growing hoofs and horns. So when you feed your animal grains, uh, you have to also trim the hoofs and uh, you're, you know, you're going to be growing a lot of horn. Uh, that's what happens, because usually what happens is that 
horns develop slower when they're eating a natural diet, but they become denser. So especially for sheep, that's important because, as you know, they headbutt each other like crazy. Uh, and if they have two soft horns, then, of course, it's, it's a big risk that they're breaking. Um, and, well, and what sheep and do if they feed them too many grains? Can't, can't there develop a problem with the horns? Like the horn grows too much and might even grow back into their skull if you don't trim it? Or is that well, that's genetic. Breed? That's genetic. Well, it's genetic problems if it grows back uh, into the skull. Like I have one male now. He, his horn is, is starting to turn into his head, uh, and that is like, well, he is not allowed to breed because we don't want to have that trait. Right. So usually they just grow very, very big, like very, very uh, big horns. But it doesn't mean that the quality. I mean, the the one that eating only grass will grow that big horns. It just takes him a little bit longer to get there. Um, so. Yeah, like, like one other thing is that, you know, grass is just growing for free. Like you have pastures, it's going to grow every year. You don't have to do anything with the soil. You don't have to plant anything. It's just going to keep on coming, returning, doing the job for you. So growing grains to feed an animal that doesn't need grains is very just, you know, illogical to me uh, that you would ever do that. And you don't have any horses, uh, I don't believe, do you, nope. unless you got some? No, 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 not yet. Not yet. Okay, um, because I've talked to people that raise horses, too, and they told me that they caught flack every year from, how would they delicately, delicately put it, these PETA motherfuckers that don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, because they would let their, their cows or horses out into the pasture even in the, in the, in the wintertime. They didn't force them out there. They just opened up the doors and let them go. Right. Um, and they would go out there and they would uh, run around through the snow and eat the stuff underneath the snow all year yeah. round. Yeah. Yeah. So have you noticed exactly. like your sheep and, and whatnot do the same thing? They'll go out there and like plow the snow up? Well, yeah. The, the thing is that uh, sheep, they dig. They dig with their feet uh, or hoofs. They don't have feet. <laughs> so they dig with their hoofs. Uh, to get to things underneath the snow. Uh, cows won't do that. Cows will only eat what they can see. Um, so uh, the good thing if you keep them together is that the, the sheep will get spots up and they will eat what they want to eat. But that means they also leave things that they don't want to eat. Uh, and the cows will come and see that and they will eat. Um, so, but of course, if you're getting too much snow, if you're having several you know, meters or um, uh, feet of snow, then you would probably be uh, having a hard time feeding them that way. Um, so I know that there's farmers in America that is not feeding any hay. They're just moving their animals all year around. And the thing is that what people don't know is that uh, grass that has gone, you know, beige, that has kind of what we say, it's just dead grass hanging there, is actually having a really, really uh, good nutritious value compared to hay. You can take a super good quality hay and it would probably have about the same uh, nutrients quality as the dead beige grass that's still standing on the root. Um, so it's it's incredibly good to just keep on grazing that if you have it. So the thing you need to do though, because it's wet season, is that you have to keep on moving the animals all the time. So here on the farm it doesn't matter for me because I move them every day anyway. So they only get as much as they eat um, for one day. And. Uh, yeah, there's several people, if, if people are, uh, you know, continuing interested in this, especially for Americans, there there's um, uh, this guy in America called Joel Salatin. It's a very big name. They run the farm called Polyface Farms uh, in Virginia, 
and he has, uh, what do you say, perfected his methods in probably the 70s or something uh, of just keeping the animals out and moving them. He keeps them in, uh, I think. But then there's another man uh, and that has a YouTube channel called... Uh, Hold on, uh, let's Greg. cut right there and go to a commercial break. And you can let them know what his YouTube channel is called when we come right back. That second gentleman that you was going to tell us about? Second gentleman is called Greg Judy. Uh, he has a uh, YouTube channel called Greg Judy, uh, I think, Regenerative Farmer or something like that. Yeah, along those lines. Uh, and he uh, has a lot of cattle. I think we're up in, hun in several hundreds or even up to a thousand cattle in uh, in the state of I think it's uh, ah I don't remember it's probably Michigan I think it's Michigan that he's having his farming uh, but he's speaking about how you're doing this with regenerative agriculture and with rege regenerative grazing mm -hmm. uh, so he's moving his cows every day all year around he never feed well he feeds them hay but he feeds it directly on the ground as supplement when it becomes really really snowy right uh, so, but he has a lot of good practices. He's been doing this for, I think, over 40 years. Uh, so he knows what he's talking about. So you can check out those two. You'll get plenty of information. And there's plenty of videos from Joel Salatin since he's kind of a superstar in sphere of uh, regenerative farmers. Now, see, I'm wondering if um, if you had enough land, like the, the one fella, and he only had, uh, I don't know, maybe 20 head of cattle or something. Oh, on his area, but he didn't move his stuff, his cattle around. So I'm wondering if, even with larger herds, if you had en enough land that's all connected, would the cattle just move themselves as the 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 food runs out in one area, they just meander over sure. to another I mean, area? Abs absolutely. I mean, that's how they were genetically developed. Is to you know they graze one area and and then they continue moving because. You know, back in the day, there were not a few, you know, 40 animals. There were thousands of animals moving in a huge herd. Well, uh, and and they, um, they, you know, they would just eat and devastate one area, and they keep on moving all the time because they have competition behind them, in front of them, to the right and to the left. So they would just eat everything they can eat. Well, um, this is also... And, but this is also partly where predators come in because they've actually yes. done studies like the elk in Yellowstone Park were completely devastating areas until they reintroduced wolves. And yes. the wolves actually would keep them moving so they wouldn't yep. get too comfortable, strip an area bare, and then move on. Uh, this is right. also partly why... Because they've, they've done studies, and I'm sorry for anyone that's super into veganism. Right. But it's, or um, anybody like me that gets triggered when somebody says, I've read studies that say, insert silliness. Yes, uh... It is actually more detrimental to have an only vegetable diet than possibly any other diet on the planet. It, well, uh, well, it's because of the soil. It's because of the soil, and it's because of the shipping costs. Right. Because none of these mother. Well, aside, these uh, but aside from um, aside from humans, if you get rid of all the predators, then the herbivores overrun overrun and can destroy the environment as well well and an example of this but same as yes. too many too many predators in an area and not enough prey animals in an area then you have a different problem yes right. and what i want to get at there is 
There's actually an example of what happens when there's an herbivore that is basically unstoppable. Uh, the hippos that now live in the Amazon basin. <laughs> well, people think that they're herbivores. No, they're not herbivores. They, they eat whatever they want. They're just not carnivores. Yeah, when you get to be about five tons, you eat whatever fits in your mouth. Well, they're eating anacondas and piranhas, so nothing there is going to take them out. All right. I mean, the only... I, don't, I can't think of anything currently living in the Amazon if piranhas and anacondas can't take them out that could successfully kill those things. Humans. Yeah. That's about it. Um, but, yeah. They have... They keep expanding their range because nothing in that environment can kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah. And this is the importance of predators. And I think a lot of times we've yes. forgotten that, but it is a necessity. This is also partly why humans and their dogs tend to move the animals. Right. Oh, uh, you yeah. did mention that you had a, uh, a wolf in, in the area, in your, your area where your farm is, uh, and you'd found a dead deer. Um, yeah. Uh, when you drug that off to the side so that the wolf could come back and find his meal, uh, mm -hmm. to the best of your knowledge, did it keep moving, or has it killed all of your sheep and your cattle? No idea. I mean, we, it's a wolf pack that lives here. Right. So, yeah, so, no, 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 it hasn't been troubling me or my animals, but, uh, yeah, it it, uh, it looked quite torn apart, that, that poor deer. <laughs> right. So, so, and the reason why I bring this up is because in, what state is it? Idaho. 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 They are now putting a bounty out, and bear in mind, Idaho is as big as some European countries. Um, hmm. They put a bounty out on wolves because... Uh, the wolves are scare, scaring ranchers and farmers or whatnot. Uh, they're, they're bothering my cattle. Uh, there's approximately fifteen to 1,600 wolves in all of the state of Idaho, and they want to take it down to 150 wolves for the entirety of the state, which would be like saying there's, 100, uh, there's 1,500 um, wolves in, I, I don't know, a comparable country size. Well, um, I, Idaho is about three times the size of Ireland. Right. Or uh, it's bigger than Poland even, isn't it? Or is it approximately no, no, the same no, size? No, Poland, Germany, France, they're all bigger. Uh, like five Denmarks. Hmm. But it, it's a huge area, and people, people are... Are um, yeah, basically they're like, okay, there's wolves here. Let's annihilate them all. When can wolves be a problem? Can predators be a problem? Well, yes, but are they a problem merely because they exist? If a wolf is in in your area, does it mean it's going to kill all of your sheep, all of your your cows, all of your children? Well, no, no, they they have Absolutely tendency to keep not. moving. Well, that's why we're smarter and we we introduce so-called wolf dogs. Or, uh, or you know, herding, uh, or not herding dogs, but you know, protect guard dogs. That's what they're called, yeah. guarding dogs. So you're having a huge dog there that's standing, you know, 90 kilo, 180 pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, that wolf is not gonna try to risk that when it, there's, you know, five of those protecting the herd. Well, it'd be uh, the the equivalent for the people that, that don't know of that guard dog would be like if you had to have a boxing match every time you wanted to eat a sandwich. Hmm. Yes. You have the sandwich yeah. that you can just go pick up. You you might have to chase it a little bit, but it's not really going to right. do anything. Um, and then yeah. you can get that sandwich, or you have to fight this guy 
that's probably bigger than you are, or at least as big, to get a, a, a different kind of sandwich. Which one are you going to go for? Well, and the one where you're less likely to get injured. Well, and I'd like to, uh, with Idaho, I'd like to emphasize, based on the map I'm looking at and the comparison, it's about the size of all three Baltic countries put together. So Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia. Uh, so it is not a small country. It is not a small state. And here's an interesting thing that I'd like to bring up in regards to you know wolves and bears and stuff. And yeah, you can you have all these um, these precautions to keep them from getting your animals. But a couple of things that people forgot or don't know is, for example, if you have a wolf pack, it is in its own interest to not kill off an entire pack, an entire herd, because it's robbing its own food supply. It'll also keep other predators away because it doesn't like competition. Yes. Um, and then thirdly, an interesting practice I found looking into like history and folklore is like bears and wolves, if you had them in the area, what some farmers would do is if they had like a, a sick calf or like a sick uh, lamb or something that they knew they couldn't do anything with, they would actually take it and put it by the edge of their property uh, as like a basically uh, a peace offering. Right. Eat this one. Don't eat the other ones. Yeah. Eat the which is kind ones. of the, what the predators want anyways is the 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 ones that aren't the hard. ones that are easier to kill. Well, I mean, and you've even pointed this out. Herds will actually offer their own elderly up where they're sick yeah. to protect the rest of the herd. And this is like I use herd mentality as an insult a lot, and it is an insult. But there's a very big difference between like a domesticated sheep herd. And a herd of bison or elk or stallions, there's a very big difference between how those act and the domesticated sheep. It's a lot harder to shepherd a bunch of horses. Yes. Mostly because those horses will fuck you up. But, um, yeah, so it's important to, in my, in my humble opinion, to take into account the predators of the area... Um, and just not try to chase them out because what about the deer in the area? That's their actually their preferred um, their preferred diet is the deer and the rabbits and whatnot. Because if you let those out of control, now they're getting into your your meadow and eating the the grass that your sheep would be eating or your your cows would be eating, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, that's something people forget is, and they even take care of these animals this way. But the any animals we keep directly compete with um with wildlife with the wildlife for resources and this is also why uh this is happening in america i don't know how common it is in europe i know there are some areas trying to do it or in sweden specifically since we're talking to somebody in sweden but uh on top of permaculture there's also this other movement which has more to do with like ranching which is closer to what you just described with the cows mm -hmm. where and a lot of times they'll actually use like semi-domesticated versions of native species so like in america there's a lot of like bison ranches and elk ranches yeah there's a couple of them here in michigan that's they're they're bison ranches and uh they they have these huge areas and basically the the bison do bison things well yeah like uh, the the bison ranchers what they do is they just basically cordon off an area they let the bison as CG put it, do bison things. And then every once in a while, and they make sure they're, they're relatively used to their presence, so it's not going to cause oh, a yeah. stampede. It makes them easier to slaughter. And then they actually will, in many cases, just actively hunt one every once in a while. It, it's, it's actually really, really close to just keeping everything in sort of a natural order. And it actually encourages um, 
the natural ecosystem because everything's still behaving really close to nature. So you still end up with prairie. Um, this is also something that's happened in Spain. I well, know one thing that they've noticed with wetland. some of the bison farms here is um, when they when they do that, what started off as this massive field that they put the bison in, forests actually began growing there. Well, people forget that bison used to live in the woods too. Like it, it, there was even a subspecies specially designed for it, which was the woods bison. Mm -hmm. um, but in Spain, they've done this too, where they have. Um, aquaculture and what they did was they took a abandoned project of a canal that was being built and they turned it into basically a wetland where they could actually raise fish and the ecosystem became so prosperous um that it became a migratory bird route which enlivened the the actual area even more and there were so many species that were living there that they weren't even all trying to harvest them like there was a guy that would come while no one was watching and get shrimp from there and when they found that out they just kind of just kept letting letting him do it because he didn't take that much and they weren't harvesting the shrimp in the first place they were just there uh, i don't remember if they were just there because they were already there or if they came because shrimp can come like birds will actually uh poop out fish uh fish eggs that's how a lot of like isolated ponds end up with fish in them oh. Um, but it's a, it's a whole thing, and like uh, you, uh, I think you mentioned that you're basing a lot of your stuff off Joel Salatin, and um, I'm I'm not a farmer, I'm not a country boy, I'm a city boy, so a lot of this stuff I'm doing is it's book smarts, it's not from actual experience like you two. Um, right, and Harold is the farmer, I'm just a country boy. Who, that, who, that's why I say I'm not a farmer, but I do, being a country boy, I do have experience with animals and crops, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. I'm just not on the, the scale to call myself a farmer. Well, and what we're hoping, what, um, well, that, and I grew up around farmers and I'm a curious kind of person. So you just, so got, I, I like to touch and smell and taste and ask just shit tons of questions. And, uh, and my experience usually like yourself, if I have a question and you can answer it, you're more than happy to, to answer the question and even explain Things that I didn't even think to ask the question of. Well, and Joel Salatin, he's actually a really big figure over here, like you mentioned him. And uh, yep. I think you said you were basing some of your farming operations off of uh, sort of similar processes to what he does. I actually sure. was reading um, a book from him called uh, Folks, This Ain't Normal, where he basically yep. points out that the entire food system right now is abnormal and unhealthy. Like, he even describes a test he did where he went and bought a burger from like a uh, fast food restaurant or something. And then he took beef that he'd raised and he made two burgers and then he just let the cats loose and let them pick which one they wanted and they all picked the one that uh, they made. Because the, the uh, right. these more feral animals like the neighborhood cats, um, they actually, they're more attuned to certain things we can't notice. Because like our brains on average were more like, oh hey, protein, fat, salt, alt, carbs, these are all good things. Which is another thing a lot of these health nuts don't understand is there's nothing wrong with any of these things. It's the sheer quantity and the quality. Well, yeah. and combined with the amount of physical exertion too, because if you're physically active enough, you can eat you know, pretty much anything that you want within reason. 
and not suffer uh, ill effects. However, if you're really sedentary, there's certain things that you should cut back on because your body isn't burning it up. Oh yeah, like uh, myself, I, I started packing on a few pounds and I am technically in a bulking and, and doing it on purpose because he's trying to put on yes. muscle mass. Yes, um, but if you uh, aren't careful, especially if you switch to being more sedentary, even if it's just for like a week or two to finish up some work, you got to be careful what you're doing there. And I don't want to talk too much because this is about farming and you two are way better at this, but I wanted to get my own, uh, some stuff that I found. And it's fascinating the amount of stuff you can find in like the folklore and history and how much stuff has changed. Well, yeah. do you have any questions for Harold about farming? Because the ultimate goal is actually to start a town and, um, that includes uh, farmers which is and homesteads. going to include farming yeah do you have any questions for him um i think what i i would ask him actually is what is because you i remember you've told us about chickens so mm -hmm. what is your experience with chickens because i know that your opinion of them is uh to put it a kindly uh mixed <laughs> i hate the well uh what type of chicken are we speaking of the ones you've had to deal you mean, with. You mean, yeah. So you mean the hens? Yeah, the hens. Well, so, and, so yeah. are you asking what he would recommend for like egg production? For egg production or for? Because personally, this I is one of the things of not knowing enough about something. You you don't know enough how to ask the oh, question okay. that you want to know. So I'd ask, what are some things that people should know? Because even people that just have like backyard uh, chickens, yes. this is one of the most common animals people will keep in the modern day. Um, yeah. So what are some things that people should probably know before they start chickens? And what do you recommend for egg breeds, especially for areas with colder temperatures, which is where most of our people live anyway? Um, right. And well, the thing is, with, with, with breeds, um, for colder climates, I, I mean, I know um, chickens that we have here that are heritage breeds uh, from Sweden. Um, in America, I don't know exactly what you're having and. Oh, we got. We, we have could a lot be, of be, breeds. So just talk about the ones yeah. that you know for sure. Right, but in general, it is like this: the chickens are more hardy than you realize. Like I have, you know, I have had chickens here in with no, uh, you know, heat. They're just been in a basically in an RV, uh, and it was minus twenty five Celsius degrees, and I was like, oh, tonight was extremely cold. So, hmm, I wonder how the chickens are doing because they were like seven chickens up there in an RV uh, that we were pulling them around in. And, uh, it's, you know, there were definitely not many enough inside there to heat the place up. So, I went up there and none of them had frost damage or anything. Completely fine. You know? So, I think that most uh, chickens are going to do quite well, especially those that has you know, been developing... Uh, in the northern regions so usually I mean we have chickens here in Europe and that has been here for more than you know 500 800 years so what they is have the, uh, you know, adapted quite that, well that you had? Uh, the breed that I have well we have a bit of a mix of breeds but the ones that we bought for production is called Luhmann which is a German breed um, that they uh, hatch and it's a you know it's production breed so they're a hybrid so I wouldn't recommend those for people who are just keeping chicken, chickens for themselves. Um, even though they're highly efficient, they've 
weigh very little, meaning that they eat very little food, but they produce almost an egg per day. So they'll give you a lot of eggs. So in that regard, uh, it's very good to get a hybrid uh, if you just want to have eggs, but then you can't continue breeding them. So you can't get more chickens from them. You could, but you'll probably get some kind of freak or some malfunctioning chicken. Uh, some kind of that's why it's a hybrid. So, Well, have you... Um... I know this is actually a thing that happens is chickens will get broody because like I've seen mm -hmm. uh, where chickens will actually collect golf balls and sit on yeah. them trying to hatch them because they're getting very broody. Uh, how do you personally handle that? Well, this breed that we're having here, they don't get broody uh, because it's been genetically, you know, basically torn out of them. So they don't want to lay on eggs. Uh, and you have different breeds that are more likely to lay on eggs. Uh, and some of them are, you know, less likely. Right now, I have one that's really broody. Uh, She's uh, laying on eggs, and we and we we pick her out and we take away the eggs. When there's one more egg the next day, she's laying on it. So she really wants to lay on eggs. Right. Uh, How we're dealing uh, with that is that we're buying fertilized eggs, getting them under her, letting them hatch, and letting her have her chickens because she wants to have them. So that's right. how and, I deal with and it. And I do have a suggestion because the the chickens that we had when we grew up, uh, or when I grew up most of them were pretty broody and we still wanted the eggs but the chickens mm -hmm. will go crazy if you take all the eggs from them all of the time they, they start behaving very erratically so what we would do to get them to let us take an egg was we actually intentionally put a golf ball into their nest and that kept the chicken happy and we was happy because we got the egg and then when we wanted more chickens right. we just left that one's nest alone um, because mm -hmm. that one would nest the chicks so right. that's how we handled the ones. The, that's how we handled our chickens because they got really broody. They they wanted to sit on the egg. So if we're taking the, the eggs away, we give them a replacement, like a golf ball. Um, if right. we want more chickens, then we let that one raise raise the the chicks or hatch them. Well, and this actually because someone's bringing up that the they had a dog that um, would actually treat stuffed animals like her puppies. Uh -huh. This is a thing that affects all animals. Uh, you know, chickens. Yeah. Human women with baby dolls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's even a business. Or and, puppies. Yeah. There's even a business where people will sell silicone lifelike babies to women to kind of ease their um, their baby crazy. And this is way off topic. Well, but I think that's why a lot of these women, they get those small dogs that even when they grow up, they still look like a puppy. Is it kind of eases, eases that well and this actually ties into something really important that you've actually brought up about farming um that because you're around these animals all the time it's hard to live in kind of a delusion yeah because yeah. it's really hard to try to hold opinions that are based on nothing but wishes and dreams um, yeah. when you have to keep animals alive and these are living things this is not you know the robo dog from the early 2000s this is Actual dogs, actual cats, actual rabbits, cows, sheep, etc. Mm -hmm. And you basically have to get to the point where you're just living with, not living with nature, but not, but trying to work with it, it. Acknowledging it, or working best with it. And this is from the outsider looking in. So if you, if I'm completely wrong, feel free to correct me, Harold. But you're, you've, uh, you've been a farmer for what, uh, close to two years now? Um, yeah, it's, it's starting, it's starting to. 
But so, then I've been doing, I mean, that's been running their own farm. Then we, I mean, I have other farming experience being um, half a year on one farm and several months on another farm and, uh, you know, going back and forth, just learning uh, from all, right, you know, it, from modern to traditional farmers um, and so on. Right. So two years of running your own farm mm-hmm. followed up with, uh, and then that's reinforced with a few probably a few years by the time you add it all up of, of uh, interacting on other farms, learning how to farm. Which is something yeah. else that's important. Um, and Harold, I've actually been wondering, do you grow any crops aside from like hay maybe? Or are you more like a closer to, I guess in English it would be a rancher, which is someone that mostly just raises animals. What would you right. say? Yeah. We're, well, we're growing um, uh, we're growing um this year, it's going to be carrots, onions, potatoes. All good things. More basic exactly. things. And, and then we're having... My wife, she's growing herbs, things like this. Both for food and for a little bit of teas and things like this. So is it more she, on um, on like a garden scale or is it like on an... Uh, not industrial scale, but on a scale where no, you're absolutely selling? Not. Yeah. Just, no, just for ourselves. Okay, so... So more like something that um, some of our country-going um, uh, audience might be able to do it because they got a small or because they got a backyard, they could actually do a garden similar mm-hmm. to what you're working on. Well, and I've met farmers before who have just one acre and they can run a whole farm off that. It just depends on what you grow and how you farm. It, it's basically yeah, how you do it. Well, and animals yeah. do require more space than it, plants. Yeah. Yes, and on top of that. It's a very big difference between growing, say, pumpkins or watermelons, or yeah. growing basil or tomatoes. Or onions. Or yeah. onions. There's a massive space difference, and then there's soil differences. Like, onions grow really well in soil with more sulfur, and they tend to taste yeah. better, too. So Right, you also but then, wanna... then it's also this thing, because that's something that I was... In the beginning, I got so confused about all these different things. This plant was supposed to have this soil. This plant was supposed to have this soil. And, you know, you're you know trying to fix these environments for, for all of them. But in the end of the day, they want to grow in soil that's alive. Mm-hmm. And for yep. people that doesn't know what soil is that's alive, it's soil that has microbiological life. There's all kind of bacteria. There's you can all kind literally of feel it in soil. your hand. So, yeah, as long as you have like a humus-rich soil, which is just a lot of you know uh, decomposed material that can hold moisture and you know give you structure, which is just good compost, uh, you're gonna be able to grow basically anything. Um, so, if you have high nutrients of everything, the plant is just gonna take the nutrients that it needs. It's gonna leave the other nutrients. Um, so of course there's more beneficial so you could put it down to a science but for for a homesteading purpose i think that you know just being able to compost which could be of different components like you have a wood compost from you you make from wood chips and then you have a compost made out of you know more of manures and things like this and different plants will like that you know differently but most of them will, would be able to grow and produce a crop in either one you put in them precisely yeah so that's that's what i would say to kind of 
uh, give people a bit of an escape from trying to nerd down into what kind of soils they need for every plant right. and what kind of nutrients. It's right, just you, you don't need to send soil into the lab. Yeah, no, that, that's, no, 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 that's no, overkill. Exactly. It is overkill. Um, yeah. Because so long as the soil is healthy, as long yeah. as the plant can grow there, it will. And over time, you typically figure out what grows well there anyway. Like right. uh, the UP, where you're from. Uh-huh. They grow right. potatoes there like crazy because it grows really, really right. well up there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and what, one of the things where I would say, like, quote, quote or you say, it's from Charles Dowding. He's a mm-hmm. um, non-dig organic grower in the UK uh, who has many books and courses and all kinds of things. But he, oh, he's saying he say is, is to... No, uh, Charles Dowding, I think. Right, but did you say he's a non-dig farmer? Yeah, no dig. No dig gardening, it's called. I have no idea what that is. You never dig or anything. Yeah, then you have to search because your life is going to get turned upside down. (laughs) This doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't... I think it's... If I remember correctly, basically what it is is you try to not... um, You try to disturb the soil as little as possible because, like, that's what happened with the Dust Bowl over here in um, America is they kept tilling the soil without repairing it. And it's actually... Oh, I get it. I've just never heard it called this. Um, I just call that farming. Yeah, it's called farming because because I just looked it up. I'm like, oh, I just call that planting stuff. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, people would dig and then they would put the manure and then they would put the soil over the manure. And then they plant mm-hmm. it to the soil, and, and you add a nutrients to the soil. Yeah, this well, is closer uh, to Charles the uh, Dowding kind of and other people. Now. Like no, you yeah. have uh, in America, what's his name? Uh, Elliot Coleman. Mm-hmm. In uh, Elliot Coleman, uh, he's a non-dig uh, gardener in, in the Americas. He's, I mean, he's an icon in America. Um, search for Elliot Coleman. Uh, they, he do does the exact same thing, but you just instead you add the compost or the nutrients on top of the soil and you let insects and everything else just bring that nutrients down into the soil. Mm-hmm. So what Charles Dowding said is that what you should focus not on is not to feed the plant. You should feed the soil. Yeah. That's the key. Period. If you if you bring life to the soil, which is microbes, which is bacteria, which is all these things and worms, don't forget aerobic the worms. or anaerobic compost, you're gonna be having successful plants. Um, and there's even like this that there's a big uh, like I wouldn't say myth, but one of the things is that you talk about crop rotation, and you have to rotate crops in the, in you know between different beds because they are you know dragging out the nutrients of the bed, and if you grow in the same spot every year, eventually you're gonna get diseases on tomatoes, uh, and, and or you know diseases on your potatoes or whatever you're growing. But the thing is that if you feed the soil the right amount and you have a good balanced soil and bring back the nutrients that the potato or tomato is pulling out, then you're actually theoretically uh, should be able to grow the same crop in the same soil every year. Uh, but that's not really accepted the growing community yet. But uh, I think that that's more where Charles doubting it very experienced growers are going towards even though they're kind of officially are not saying that yet because it's too risky to awaken a big storm so to say but right. i think that that's where it is going to go when people understand enough about soil so i am proud to say i am a no-dig farmer i didn't even know it well and because just on a, a cursory look it sounds a lot like what i'm familiar with doing well and 
over in my home state of Iowa, which it's an agricultural state, so you pick up stuff just by living there, even though yeah. I, I am a city boy. And one of the big issues facing my home state is that we've lost about half of our topsoil. We used to have topsoil that was referred yeah. to as black gold. Mm -hmm. But because yeah. of really poor farming practices that have been increasingly pushed since uh, Earl Butts was in office, which is partly why I am very adamant, and this includes myself because I am not a freaking farmer, so I am very against people that have no idea what they're talking about, especially in government, talking or uh, telling. telling people, ordering them in fact, to do things that they don't understand, and that's especially with farming. Uh, because it's something that has affected my home state quite a bit. Like, uh, and then the amount of pesticides, because I, I don't know how or uh, what you use for like different stuff on your farm, Harold, but uh, the pesticide and chemical use, as well as just like the hog slurry, which is like their, their excrement, mm -hmm. um, is so bad in Iowa that we are the one of the, one of, if not the primary contributors to the dead zone in the um, Gulf of Mexico around Louisiana, which has killed off most of the fishing industry uh, nearby land in that area. And I don't know if anyone's ever seen like the, the kind of fish you can get in the Gulf, but the diversity is actually ludicrous. Like uh, if I had to pick one of the three coasts in America, not counting the Great Lakes, for seafood, I would probably pick the Gulf. I, I the fish I've had from there in my life usually tastes better, um, but I am a sucker for a, good, a fresh caught fish. So, since I live in the Midwest, it's the rivers and the, the lakes I tend to like. All right, and then on that note, I'm going to cut for another commercial break, and then we'll be right back with some more, um, hopefully less nonsense. All right, yeah, we're back, um, and I'm actually excited to find out. Oh, oh. Celtic God does stop something farming the right way, or at least a healthy way. Because I've never, I've looked at some of these big farms and I'm like, why are they plowing four, six, eight feet under the It doesn't the make surface? any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do None. that? No, it actually, it's just damaging the soil. And then all it takes is wind and you're fucking it up. Yeah, it blows away a good flood and half your soil washes uh, That's away. the other thing is where I'm from in Iowa, and I'm sorry I keep bringing Iowa back into this. But it's this your is, experience with farming. It's, it's my home state, and these are like the main policy issues that nobody outside the state gives a crap about. But um, we have a lot of floods in Iowa. We practically have a flood season because we have the Mississippi, and we have the Missouri, and we have all these other rivers in our area. Like the north of Iowa used to be um, wetlands before it was filled in for farmland. So it's a very wet state. Um, and for some reason, despite the fact that we know there's about a 90% chance we're going to flood, people are still surprised when it floods. Yeah. People are goofy. Yeah. Um, are you planning on opening uh, after gr practicing gardening for a year or two? Because on a smaller scale like that one, is, is for a particular family, I, I call it gardening. That's why I, I know I've never farmed because I've never taken it to the scale beyond feeding a couple families. Um, but are you planning on opening it up to agriculture farming or st sticking with the, the animals and just having the, the garden to uh, supplement with vegetables? Well, for ourselves, it's just going to be supplement more vegetables. 
But uh, in the future, it might be that we find someone that want to have a business opportunity and they know how to grow vegetables. Uh, then we will have all the compost that's needed to have the space that's needed. They are more than welcome to have a business vegetable and sell uh, uh, on our farm name uh, the vegetable grown here. Uh, and they'll get their salary. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, and yes, I cannot overstress the importance of worms. And this, this was actually taught to me by old farmers where this was their business. This is how they, they paid for their land. They, they paid for their house. They fed their family. Uh, so on and so forth was you do not underestimate the value of worms. If the soil won't support worms, there's something very wrong. And, and in some cases, the worms have been removed by plowing, for instance, um, and, and all the pesticides and, and whatnot that go onto the soil. So they've been removed from the soil, but that one of the indicators of healthy soil is the presence of worms. Yeah. And I know that you gotta get going in a few minutes, so uh, um, when we get to that point, let's just say our goodbyes and, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll just get out of here. But we can keep talking until you got to go. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to to bring up or touch on that you think people might? Basically, a question that most people don't ask. Some some kind of advice that you might give them. Very good question. Um, very vague question too. Yeah, and very hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends on what people are thinking, which is very hard when you don't know what speaking about um well um no i don't know uh i don't know um like people might be concerned because we was talking about hay earlier and um how that's the grass and the grass goes to seed and then the, the grass uh, right. uh when it goes to seed uh the the seeds fall off and that's how you get more grass everybody understands this is there a problem right. with birds getting into your like, like? Should they try to keep the birds out of these areas? How about that? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, there's pl plenty of seeds that needs to be eaten by birds and pooped out, kind of germinate. So and then they germinate in a package of nutrients. So um, now birds are extremely beneficial, and and that's something I can say actually. When we moved here to the farm, not long ago uh you know there were birds around here in a heavily forested area and not a lot in here at all um and uh, you know so there were birds there. this year i can like i can already see a double almost double increase in birds because we're having animals here and they flock around animals so birds follow especially big uh herbivores so cows so they just love to come here. As soon as the cows came to the farm, uh, you know, just fertility is, is just shooting up the roof. Um, so that was something interesting that I observed. Oh, a very big question was asked in, um, in chat, but I know, again, you gotta get going in a few minutes. So this, um, you're pretty good at, at taking notes, so you might wanna note this down, although I think you might have already. For some of the upcoming podcasts that we're going to put out while while um, Heimdall's home is on uh, on hiatus, and by the way, we're probably going to be changing the name, so don't panic. We're not going anywhere. We're just re 
we're going to present ourselves in a slightly slightly different way. But um, somebody in the audience is asking, um, what is the best way to make use of limited spa space for a small homestead? Is that one of the topics that we're going to end up talking about um, that you have on your list, or is that right. one that we yeah, had? It's, um, yeah, one of them is called, so how much land do I need? So, um, and then I kind of want to, I didn't really want to cover a business because I think most people want to go into a business. So I wanted to cover that with a, you know, small or big family because I remember back in the day when I, probably 10, 12 years ago when I started finding the idea interesting of farming and you know, just survival in general, bushcraft and all kind of things. One thing I was wondering was how much land would I need you know, to be able to feed a family? So that's something we're going to dive in deeper to later on. Maybe as a teaser, but, you yeah, can read off it some greatly of the... Varies. It greatly varies on climate, family size, uh, what you want to grow, what you want to eat. Intention. Yeah, um, intention. So, so we're going to be covering all of that. Well, I, I was thinking it might be a nice episode. teaser to get people to come in and listen to the podcast while we're uh, taking a break from the live streams on the hiatus. Um, mm. But if you read off some of the topics... From the list that you wrote up, uh, that that you wrote down, that people might want to tune in for, as far as farming and homesteading and stuff like this right. goes. Uh, so, what was uh, the topics that you brainstormed up real quick? Yeah. So, first one then is possibilities of farming, practical practicalities of farming, how farms can open up possibilities, communities, the benefits and the downsides to uh, a farming lifestyle. The spiritual aspects of farming, farming, uh, how farming creates healthy families and individuals, uh, the glorified view on homesteading and farming, and then, of course, how much land. And there's going to be more ideas coming, so I think that that's probably going to double. But all of those are going to be covered in separate episodes of, you know, pure asperger's information okay? <laughs> just nerding down deeply into our deep deep core of of uh, of uh, intellectualism right right get out the notebooks and start learning chemistry <laughs> yeah kind of all right um so yeah let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up because uh we, we have a lot of things going on i mean you got your farm where we're working on things ourselves and i want to get this up on the podcast sometime today so um uh, I know that you guys shoot out first, so if you want to say your your sign off, and we can start moving on this. I guess Ike is first. No, no, I was talking. You're, you're you. You're you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thanks for listening to us uh, jabbering about about farming, and um, yeah, I guess uh, we're gonna be coming with more interesting fact so if you're having anything with um, professional farming to do uh, or want to have to do with that or just having your own homestead or farmstead in the future uh, there's going to be plenty plenty of really good information uh, real life figures from real life farms that has been successful uh, all kind of autistic numbers that you could possibly want to know uh, about size of farming size of economy possibilities um, investments, time, you know, equipment, all kind of things. So, if that's something that's interesting you, uh, 
uh, and all, of course, also about the farming practices of regenerative agriculture, permaculture, and I, I am a certified uh, permaculture designer. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be, we'll be covering a lot of aspects. So you're very, very much welcome to uh, take a piece of that information. All right. That's great. And I'm guessing that's that's goodbye there. All right. I will go ahead and I will go ahead and say look into your local food, look into your local farmers and support the people that are doing what you agree with and growing what you think should be grown or raising what you think you sh should be raised and how they're being raised and grown. So not my most uh, inspirational, but I think one of the more important messages I've had. So, tower. All right, and I want to thank everybody that does show up for the uh, the podcast. And uh, again, I'm going to remind, or for the live stream. Um, and I want to remind everybody that our last show before the hiatus, because we will be coming back, and with a name change to the show, but our last episode before the hiatus will be on May 9th. That's a, uh, Mother's Day in America. I want to. Give a special thank you to Lilja for all of the wonderful emails that you send to us. Um, it shows that uh, somebody out there actually listens and thinks and questions. And um, we really do appreciate it, so thank you very much. I also want to thank everybody that listens to us on the podcast platforms because um, it really does help us out financially. Yeah, it's a little bit. Every little bit counts. So... Um, yeah, uh, on that note, I guess I'm I'm going to uh, shoot out of here and I'm going to remind everybody that we are the gods of the future. Oh, thank you.